DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mike Smith, jazz studio analyst, joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art. Smart Irrigation Controller helps with first-class water management. Visit SmartRain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Mike, good morning. Hi, guys. How are you? We're doing well. We have questions about the Jazz. Curious your answers. I got them for you. Maybe I got them. (laughs) So... We all wonder how the Jazz could be so bad against really bad teams, against the bottom of the NBA. And now they look like the team that we thought they could be, thought they should be, thought they would be, depending on where you fall on the the fan spectrum with your expectations. But certainly this is at least the ballpark people were hoping and expecting, as opposed to losing to the Magic and losing to the Pelicans. I mean, those are two of the three worst teams in the NBA. So how do they go four and five over nine games and just, just not look anything like what we thought they should be? And now, man, if you turned on the third quarter, as you expected, I was watching you at halftime, that was a beautiful thing. Jazz fans everywhere are like, yes. So what happened? How did it happen? Yeah, that was fun. Um and thank you for watching. That, that means something if you're watching, because you know a lot about basketball. But um, Darn expert. Listen, the, the Orlando loss was just a, a road loss, right? They gave belief and hope to a young team, and a guy caught fire, Cole Anthony, and made plays down the stretch. I think that was a game they played without Mike Conley. And then the New Orleans loss is your example of when you don't take care of the ball and have solid possessions down the stretch. They have two really bad long threes. Uh, They made a dribbling turnover and then even missed like a free throw down the stretch, which which gave New Orleans a chance. And then give New Orleans a chance. This Devontae Grant comes down and makes a 28-footer on the fly at the buzzer. So those things can happen. But if you remember... At the end of that game, Donovan kind of went on the press conference and he said, this is on me. You know, this is, I won't let this happen again. I need to be better. I will be better. And doggone it, that kid since that moment has been nothing short of, you know, Jordan-esque. He's been so terrific. I think I end up saying on the telecast or, you know, in the post-game or halftime, it's always darkest before dawn. You know, not D-A-W-N, but D-O-N, because he senses the moment comes to life. And I'll tell you another thing. Early on, they weren't shooting the ball, and we talked about it. You guys were talking about it. Guys were not making shots. Even before last night's game, I I challenged at least the viewers to see if Clarkson and Bogey could begin to make threes on the road after the long homestand where – you know, 10 out of 12 at home, you got more practice time, you got more individual time, you can go check into the facility at 10 at night and get shots up. I kind of felt like their, their shots would come around. And those guys combined for 10 threes last night, and they dismantled a Minnesota team, which has been pretty good of late. Like, at first glance, you'd say, oh, they've lost three in a row and now four in a row. But in reality, they've won seven of 11. And, you know, beating some decent teams like Miami and Memphis. And, and I don't even put the Memphis buzzer beater as a, as a loss because Memphis is fourth in the West. They're pretty good. 
you played on those uh, Celtic teams that had some legendary players, Hall of Fame players, and I'm wondering their mindset. They were veteran guys, and this Jazz group, Mitchell's still young, but he's a veteran. And then you got other guys, Conley, Joe, Bogey. They they're they're most definitely veterans, and they understand that as we all do. The season is going to be defined, the ultimate grade is going to be assigned based on the playoffs. And that's only a few teams that can put themselves in that category. And if you're in that category, right. that means you're very good to begin with. So how is it, as you relate to when back when you saw Bird, McHale, and those guys go through these sort of mind-numbing slew of never-ending games that you just have to play before you can get to the point where, all right, now this is going to be where you're judged? Because I'm, I don't want to say they sleepwalk through some of these games, but they know that, I mean, they got to win these games now, but it's really important to win the games at the end because that's at this level of this team, that's how they're going to be judged. So how difficult is it just to play through these never-ending list of games in these cities that you can't even remember in two or three weeks? Uh, PK, let me give an example. If I'm too old to play competitive most of anything, right? So, like, but if my kids take me to Provo Rec Center and challenge me, I might think it's fun and games at the beginning, and I might prepare haphazardly. But once we start playing and there's either money on the line or pride on the line, then juices flow, and whatever's in you, and I think every guy has that element of whatever's in them to some degree, it, it lights up. So it, it, it begins to, you know, burn with fire and nobody likes to lose. And so anybody who makes it to this level, like it's incredibly difficult to make it to this level. You know, I don't know what the odds are, whether it's one in a million or one in two million, but you make it to the NBA. There's something inside you that got you through high school tournaments and you know, winning MVP of your high school conference, becoming a college player and a college starter and putting time in the weight room. And, and it just it just goes like that. And so it is the cream of the crop that rises. And not everybody's journey is the same, right? Look at Gobert who comes to the game late or Donovan who's the 13th pick and supposed to be a journeyman NBA player and maybe make an all-star team if he gets in the right situation. Or... You know, you're the first, second, third pick in the draft. And, you know, it's kind of written in stone what's going to happen because your talent is so rich. The guys I played with in Boston were mostly of the latter sort. College All-Americans, you know, who were incredible and, and burned with desire. And so Bird was that way, and he was the leader of our pack. And so Bird used to always say, I, I don't want to be here in Cleveland, you know? And we were flying commercially back then. He goes, crap, you think I want to fly to Cleveland and that lousy weather and stay in a hotel room and go, go beat up on the Cavs and then wake up the next morning at 5 and jump on the next plane? He goes, but guys, since we're here and we have to be here, let's go kick their tail. And he used different language all the time, but he, he burned with a passion like that. And so in every NBA locker room, there's a pecking order that just automatically establishes itself. You, you, I didn't need to know because someone told me that Bird was the alpha 
and McHale was alpha number two, and Dennis Johnson alpha number three, and then Parrish, even though he was the most quiet, off the court. I saw it every day, and I saw it in their mannerisms. I saw it in the way they deferred to one another. Or, you know, and McHale is arguably one of the greatest players of all time, but when it came to McHale and Bird, McHale deferred to Bird, right? He was better. His personality was stronger. His will to win was stronger. And so it's there, PK. It, it, you know, these guys take that challenge every game. Like, yeah, we're on the road. And, but these four road games are challenging. Like a back-to-back tonight to go get Philly after, you know, you just throttled Minnesota in the third quarter. Philly's now 1-4-5, and Bede's now back. Little Curry's on fire. Tobias Harris presents problems. They got this kid, Maxley, Tyrese Maxley, averaging about 18, and a championship coach. You don't think they're going to be ready? Yeah. They're going to bring it. And, you know, Donovan will lead the charge to say, okay, you know, mid-December regular season game, but we want to go 4-0 on this trip. And I think that's part of it, too. You set many short-term goals of sequence along the way. And my Celtics were great at that. Like, we got to go out west. Let's go get seven of these eight. Our trips out west were always eight games. And you know Donovan and Quinn are saying, guys, one at a time, but let's get all four. We got the next six at home leading up to Christmas. Forget about that. Let's go get these one at a time. Let's start at Cleveland. So I, I kind of, it's a great question. And I know it's football season, right? And we got three great teams in the state ripping it up and playing in big games, and the NFL's winding down. But this is the things that make guys champions. A lot of hopes for a tweak in the lineup so that they've got the right combination for whatever an opponent presents in the playoffs. And although we're more of a quarter of the way into the season, we've only seen 10 games out of Rudy Gay. You want to make any statements about how he has fit and how he's going to fit into the team, or you want to see another 10 games? No, I like him. I've seen enough. Um, I saw him a lot in the Western Conference. You know, me broadcasting games for 20 years for another team, so I know him well. When he entered the league, DJ, I thought he was the most talented small forward in the game. And I'm talking raw talent. I thought he was long. I thought he was athletic. I thought he had big, broad shoulders. I thought he could handle. He could shoot. He could score inside. And you're all seeing how how easily, and I don't throw that adverb out there just lightly, right? He shoots the three ball with incredible ease. You're talking long limbs and incredible strength. It's a flick of the wrist for him, almost LeBron-like with greater efficiency. He was basically a 34% career three-point shooter for his entire career. Last three years, 375. And until last night, when I think he only makes one, missed his first five, he was way up in the high 40s for the Jazz. So I think what you're alluding to, DJ, is his ability to alter the Jazz lineup come playoff time and and throw him into the mix and have him guard a big and then all of a sudden drag a big out. And you'll see it tonight. John Whiteside is not able to go again uh, because of this glute bruise or hamstring thing. It's kind of a hamstring thing that's climbing up into his glute. Uh, you got to go against a B who went for 32 last night. I think 
you'll get a little preview of what the Jazz might do when they face a team with a viable center, whether it's Embiid in a conference final or an NBA final, or it's an Anthony Davis in the first round. But I love, I love the new Rudy Gay. I thought he was, I thought he was a little bit like Fred Couple. And I know PK is a golfer and a golf historian, so yeah. he'll get the he'll get the comparison. I got Fred it. was the most underachieving all-world talent the world of golf has ever seen. <laughs> For him to win one major and less than twenty tournaments with that swing and that talent and that length, there's something that was lacking inside. I thought that was Rudy, but I was judging him from afar, right? I was the other guy's announcer, and he never delivered in a big game and a couple of playoff series, and I thought, okay, you know, now I'm kind of like, okay, he's in his 16th year, he's 35, and he's still getting after it, keeping himself in shape, and he's going to help this team contend for a title. So I kind of, I view it a little differently, but uh, thrilled that he's here and a part of the team. When or maybe even if do you see the Warriors and Suns cooling off a little bit because this 800-plus ball is absolutely incredible? Well, they're the two best teams in basketball. And I'd say two of the ten top coaches. And the Warriors are no question unique. My two favorite teams to watch are the Jazz, which is kind of fun because that's, part of the gig, right? I get to watch them, get to dig in deep to the details and decipher why they're good or why they're having an off night. And then any other game on, if the Warriors are on, I'm watching them. Because it's really basketball the way it was meant to be played. They have taken the Greg Popovich slogan from years ago, we're going to give up a good shot for a better shot. And Steve Kerr has magnified that a hundred times, and then he's turned the RPMs up. We're going to go get athletic players who are versatile, who can defend, who can switch, and they're going to play fast. And we're going to teach them to play fast so that when playoff time comes, they still play fast. And, you know, it helps to have Steph, who's the greatest shooter of all time. What is he, nine threes now away from Ray? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this year he's going to surpass 3,000 threes. Amazing, right? Harden will get to 3,000 as well in three-plus years. And Damian Lillard will also get to 3,000. Those might be the only three in our little current NBA that will get to that mark, but nobody's going to get to Steph. He's 33 years old. Harden's 31. Lillard's 31. Those guys are not going to surpass him career-wise. So I don't know who out there on the younger scheme is going to go get him at the volume he does it. But I love the Warriors because they play the game the right way. Make a pass and cut pass, give it, you know, give it up early, you'll come around again and get it. And then very simply on the Suns, they're just great. They just have great balance. Like each position is defined. While the Warriors are a little bit like the Jazz, positionless, shoot, pass, anybody can score, the Suns have definitive roles. The ultimate point guard, a perfect shooting, scoring guard, and a big who can roll and score, you can throw the ball in the post, and then athletic wings like Bridges and Crowder's kind of your enforcer, and you hope he shoots a high percentage. Both those teams are super good. 
And I would say the two top teams in the league right now and probably will be at the end. One of the things I want to see out of the Jazz, and in particular Mitchell, Mike, is that when they get in a last possession, down by one, down by two, whatever it is, and we're talking literally at the end of the game, uh, I've been a yep. little, I've been a little bit underwhelmed with his decision making. Now he's their best player, and Quinn Snyder's talked about it. We've got the ball in our best, in the hands of our best player. But how does he figure out? Because there's no doubt he's their best player offensively for sure. How does he figure out? how to make the possession to its maximum to get those points or at least to get the great opportunity, the proverbial clean look within the context of the offense, but knowing that he's the guy, but at the same time not trying to go one on five. I'm not sure that I'm articulating my question the way I want to, but I just I'm wondering how he deals with that in those situations. Those situations don't pop up often, but they will and how does he go about making the best decisions, whether that's shoot, draw and kick, whatever it might be, in those situations? Yeah, I get the question. And my answer is a little bit, well, it's related a little bit to my Warriors uh, dialogue there. You, you, you almost have to, if you don't have, let's say, a Bird, a Duncan, you know, a LeBron, a Jordan, an Anthony Davis, a Kobe. Guys, Giannis, Durant, Durant for sure, uh, is probably the best in these situations at this time of our NBA, in our current NBA. But it's also physically related, right? He's gifted. Yeah. He's 6'11". You can isolate him. You're going to get a pass to him because he's just going to post or mid-post, put his arm up, you're going to get the ball. The defense then has to decide, do we double him or not? So my answer to the Jazz situation is correlates to that Warrior situation. Can you continue to play fast? And I don't mean too fast or hurried, but can you continue to attack and be aggressive late in games when the score is tight? Your booty gets a little tight, right? The magnitude of the shot means a little bit more. It's almost like the weight of a playoff game. If you miss, you lose. If you make, you win. The Jazz are not blessed with someone they can throw the ball in the post and he can get you a bucket. Okay? So you are a perimeter-based team. They're a three-point shooting team. They're the best three-point shooting team in the league. So you have to create scenarios that are going to go to your strengths. That's why Quinn has built the offense he's built. You built an offense based on your personnel and your attributes. We can shoot. We have guys who can make plays, but, I mean, honestly, we're not going to throw the ball to Joe with seven seconds and say, go make a play. Yeah. Not enough time, right? Joe's good in his spot, and he's clever, and he's tricky. At the end, ideally, you want Donovan to have the ball. So um, two thoughts come to mind. In the New Orleans game, down one, after Graham made the shot, I think we had maybe four to seven seconds left. Joe took the ball in. We ran a flare screen for Bogey, who'd made six threes in the game. So we ran that flare screen. He wasn't open. Second option was Donovan popping to the top of the key. He was immediately open, but Joe didn't throw him the ball. Okay, Joe looked for Bogey, then he looked down to the left to Clarkson. No, no. Now he's looking at Donovan. 
But what happened was he threw it to Donovan. Rudy, who set the flare screen, then kind of leaked inadvertently and mistakenly, I'll say, up higher. So now Donovan doesn't catch it at 32 feet. He had to go to 37 feet to get it. Now when he gets it, Rudy's still kind of in the way and too late to set a screen out of position, couldn't roll. Uh-oh, what do you do? Donovan dribbled to his right. He put up an 18-footer that was contested by Ingram, and Jazz lost the game. Fast forward two games, they play in Boston. It's a one-possession game, and the Jazz didn't slow down. So it didn't come down to a final shot, but they, I think it was a direct, you know, counsel from the staff, listen, let's not hold the ball, walk it up, and get ourselves in a situation where they can double us and they dictate what we do. Let's continue to push. If you remember late in that game, Donovan coming down the floor even signaled to Conley, here's where I'm going to be. And so instead of popping out, he went back door and Conley fed him with a beautiful backdoor pass. He made a layup or dunk, and it took a one-point game to a three-point game without even eight seconds gone in the possession. So their key, to me, is to continue to play fast or attack and let Donovan be that initiator. And, you know, if he goes off a Rudy screen, great. If they double him, fine. you got shooters on the perimeter. You put Bogey, Conley, Clarkson, you know, Ingles out there, and if they double, we're throwing it to a guy and we'll believe in our guys that they're going to make shots. I mean, you can't be who you're not going to be or who you're not, right? They don't have – they don't throw it in the post to Bird and say, you know, just turn and shoot over that guy and talk trash while you do it. <laughs> As the ball's being released. <laughs> <laughs> Even before. One time, one time, and this story, you've seen it on YouTube or on NBA Highlights. He literally, I'm on the bench, he literally, I know that comes as a shock to you that it wasn't in in the final 10 seconds, but he literally walked on the floor and turned to the opposing team and said, they're going to throw me the ball right here. There's not a darn thing you can do about it. I'm going to turn and shoot it on this guy's face, and we're walking out of here with a win. We were on the road, and, and we, we threw the ball into him. He kind of just held it in his left side now he, with those mangled fingers and you know, kind of faked, and then just turned, shot over his guy, and made it. We walked out. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in basketball. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Anyway. And you got paid for it, man. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, he didn't get it paid enough. Right? He's, no. making, he's making six million when I'm there. He's making six. Mikhail, two and a half. Parrish, one and a half. DJ, one. The rest of us, peanuts. And, you know... You weren't paying him nearly enough with how good he was. <laughs> there you go. we got to run, Mike. We'll see you tonight on the broadcast. We will definitely be watching. Oh, no, it's TNT. You don't do it tonight, do you? Uh, is tonight TNT? Is it? I thought it was. No, it's not. I, I gotta, it might be. i got to check because I last I heard when we walked out, we are doing the oh, game. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so maybe it's... Maybe it's the, the odd one of, like, the TNT yeah, couplet yeah, yeah. of three games, right. and they're going to televise the other two, and then we carry the other one. Oh, I'm being, to- um, I'm being told it's, it's NBA TV is what it is. Yeah, so we'll do it. Good. You got any message for, you know, Bowler or Thurl or, better yet, Alema? Alema? Yeah. Uh, on the air, have him say yeah. the last name of that, that famous Hawaiian singer that went by Is. 
I don't know if you know him. He sings that. Word. I don't know who that is. Oh, but he, but he was. Oh yeah, he, he he's he's deceased now. He had a big, he was way I mean way overweight, but he had a beautiful voice. And the way Alema says the guy's last name because it's got like forty seven letters and and you know thirty two vowels. <laughs> And Alema can and nail it. Oh, it is perfect the way he says it. His first All name right. was Israel, but they just call, I think they called him Iz. He's an extremely famous Hawaiian singer. Beautiful, beautiful voice. I just love, it's like it's like the softest, purest jump shot when Alema says that man's last name. Okay, so listen, Alema's, <laughs> I'm sure, asleep right now. He's not listening to us. So on the air, I'm going to say some superlative about Donovan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll say, and I'll be like, Alema, Donovan is playing right now at such a level. It's yeah. so smooth. It's yeah, pure. so sweet. It's not for yeah. It's like that great Hawaiian singer. What's what's his name? Yeah, just say it's, is. It's, what's his I'll, last name? I'll let yeah, I'll let him bring it up. Oh yeah, and the accent right. that he just—he just nails it perfectly. <laughs> it is—it is, it is the right. purest form of communication when Alema says that man's last name. He'll know it exactly. It I is, guarantee it. The guy is like, big time famous like in the, the islands. Heavenly, the oh. heavenly or the Adamic language. All right, I'll see if I can get Alema to say it. Yeah, and you'll—you'll just—you'll—I promise you—you'll smile. I'll be, I'll be laughing because of this setup. Right, I know. But when he says it, or even aside from this setup, the way he says the name is so smooth, yes. And the lemma is nothing if not smooth. Are you going to do it? So pregame or halftime? Uh, I'm thinking, not enough time at halftime. Right, It'll I'm thinking pregame. Pregame or postgame. It might be postgame. How about that for a tease? So oh, okay, postgame is fine because it's a 5 o'clock start, so I can watch all the postgame. I don't have to get to bed because i got to get up so early. So at the 5 o'clock, I can, right. I can go to your postgame bitter end because you'll be done by 9 at the very latest. So I'll, I'll either way, postgame, pregame, it doesn't matter. Ideal. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, there you go. Mike Smith, Chris Hill. Former Utah athletic director. I can see him. He's in our lounge right now, and he's just nodding because DJ's doing all the talking. Uh, but he will come in. That's why DJ isn't here right now. He will come in here in uh, about two seconds. So stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone.